Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. is based off of information that I received and was taught and read and learned um, in my sexual purity class last year when I went to the Apostolic School of Theology online and got my certification. And uh, one thing that was predominantly driven in that class from this apostolic pastor, teacher, and doctor was that issues surrounding sexual purity are not really discussed or talked about in the church, especially the apostolic church. We know they exist, we preach, you know, save yourself from marriage, all those kind of things, but issues regarding sexual purity are not really discussed in the church. And if it's not discussed in the church and taught from the church, then the only place saints are going to hear about it is from the world. So we need to talk about it. And I know for some of y'all, it's going to be so uncomfortable. You're going to be like, I don't like hearing this, I don't like talking about it but it's necessary, and we're not going to talk about anything that isn't supported by the Word of God, all right? So let's go right to the scripture tonight, 1 John 2, verse 15, starting. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Pastor, will you please take us to God in prayer tonight before we start? Amen. Everybody say amen. And if that's the only amen said tonight, I'm okay with that. You can be seated. So I ask you tonight, even though some of this may make you uncomfortable, don't clock out just yet, okay? Just keep your heart open. Keep your mind open. Because we do live in a very sex-saturated culture, don't we? We are surrounded by it. As Christians, we are bombarded daily with sexual cues, and what is the church to do? We can't no longer rely on strategies of the past. In the past, that pretty much meant burying our heads in the sand, ignoring the issue, hoping it would go away, but it for sure wasn't talked about, was it, elders? Elders, if you look back, you, it's not talked about, is it? It wasn't, was it? 50 years ago, 40 years ago, these things weren't discussed in the church at all, were they? But we live in a different society now too, don't we? In church history, sex was a taboo subject, and it wasn't discussed. It wasn't addressed. It was considered embarrassing. It was considered inappropriate. And as a result, there was many young people that grew up with really skewed views of sex. And this method wasn't effective, and it wasn't wise then, and for sure it's not helpful in the generation we live in now. 
we for sure can't not talk about it and ignore it and bury our heads because we live in a generation where it is everywhere. So for the next two or three sessions, we're going to be proactive in talking about sexual purity and what God has to say about it. We're going to be talking about sex, pornography, its effects on the brain. We're going to talk about internet safety for families. And we're going to talk about healing from sexual addiction. And if some of these things make you blush and uncomfortable, that's okay. If it makes you uncomfortable, makes you blush, you should be thankful you still have that ability in the day and age in which we live, right? Sexual immorality is more than just being married and cheating on your spouse. Many people think automatically as a sexual sin committing adultery, but it's way more than that. It covers a wide multitude of sins and immoral behavior. Let me just run down a few. As I've already mentioned, adultery, what is that? An intimate relationship with someone other than your spouse. And this can be an emotional affair. It doesn't even have to mean sex. It still can be a sin. Fornication, that's having sex before marriage. Prostitution, selling your body, offering sex for money. Pornography, viewing sexually explicit photos or videos for sexual gratification. This can also include the reading of erotica novels and sexually explicit novels. Masturbation, stimulating oneself for sexual pleasure. Homosexuality, engaging in sexual behavior with someone of the same sex. Molestation, rape, sexual abuse, forcing someone to have sex against their will. All these things encompass all this wide, broad area of sexual immorality. And we live in a society that's saturated with these things more than ever before. Think about the advertisements that we see. Fast food restaurants. They use a, a woman that's very scantily clad just to sell a hamburger, right? You see a billboard. You see advertisements for different things. You go through the mall and the stores have posters in their window showing scantily clad people or even some of, and it's, and it's moved beyond just women in a state of undress. They have places and posters with men in the same scenario. We see it in billboards, commercials, movies, suggestive t-shirts, social media posts, YouTube videos, images at the mall, constantly exposing us to sexual cues and innuendos on a regular basis. And it's a very real problem, and I'm telling you, it ain't going away. Driscoll said, we are part of a culture that spends more money, listen to this, there is more money spent in a year on pornography than country music, rock music, jazz music, classical music, Broadway plays, and ballets combined. You think about rock concerts, country music concerts, Broadway shows at New York, ballet, all, you combine all of that and there's still more money spent on pornography. That alone should tell us how much of a problem this is. This world is wicked and it's perverse because the enemy wants to take everything God has meant to be beautiful and holy, pure and sacred and pervert it and make it something it's not. Here's the truth of the matter. We can't take the approach as a church to only preach and teach against sexual sin and warn Christians to stay away from it. We also have to share the positive message of sex. You're like, the positive message of sex? Because some of you might be surprised by this statement but God loves sex. He thinks it's beautiful. What? Well, who created sex? God did, didn't he? God did. It's a gift from him. What did he intend it to be? A celebration between a husband and his wife that's symbolic of his relationship with the church. Is that not true? Who created our bodies? 
a man's body, a woman's body, biologically to fit together in a perfect union? God did. Who included the book of the Song of Solomon in the Bible? God did. Who included verses that say things like, A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breast. Who put that in the Bible? God did. Who included stories of Tamar who played the part of the harlot and slept with her father-in-law and got pregnant? God did. Who told about David viewing Bathsheba as she bathed and then brought her into his chambers and had sex with her? God did. We are not stepping outside the bounds of Scripture tonight. Sexual purity and God's thoughts on sexual sin are evident throughout his word. We are not doing wrong by speaking to these issues. We are not stepping outside the confines of God's spirit and his anointing and his spirit. And I can tell you, I actually took off work today so I could really focus my mind for tonight. And as I sat at my computer, I feel like the enemy attacked me today, my body. I, I text my husband and I said, I said, I am literally sitting here feeling weird. And I said, my hands are shaking. And I said, I literally feel like the enemy is fighting me. And his request, response back was, well, have you ate today? <laughs> I said, yes, of course I have. And I told him, he goes, soon maybe. But I truly feel like the enemy was fighting me on this because we're bringing light to some of his devices. And he doesn't like it. But before we can view unhealthy sexual behaviors, we need to examine a healthy view of sex and what that looks like. Because many people, especially in the church, especially, they think of sex in the terms of dirty, sinful, ugly, taboo. It only takes place in the dark, in a dark alley. They have all these skewed views of sex. And that's not of God. We must examine what sex is so that we can then identify what sex is not. When you're familiar with something that's true and original, then it's easy to identify something that's false or a cheap imitation. We must view sex as an awesome gift from God that is reserved for marriage. In doing so, we can guard ourselves from getting caught up in lust, perverse, and cheap imitations of what true sexual expression should look like. Hebrews 13 and 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge the new American standard Bible says it this way marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers will God judge now when we live in obedience to God's word we can enjoy one of his greatest gifts without feeling condemnation no guilt Consider Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. Genesis 2.25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There was no shame. They felt no guilt, no anxiety, no regret. And we, when we follow God and keep sex within the confines of marriage, we save ourselves from a whole lot of emotional baggage and guilt. And not only spiritually and scripturally, but sex God's way also means things like this. When two virgins marry, they don't have to worry about sexually transmitted diseases. That's good enough reason for me, even if nothing else. Number two, you aren't comparing your spouse to previous sexual encounters. Saving sex for marriage is hard. Anybody that tells you differently is a liar. Trust me, I know. It's hard, it's not easy to do, but it can be done. 
When you choose to do something that is hard for the right reasons, then you're also developing and exhibiting self-control, which can carry over into many other areas of your life. You won't get pregnant before you're married. It makes your wedding day and night very special because when you've already given all of yourself to your partner, the wedding is just a formality. Men and women who don't view pornography have a healthier view of the opposite sex. For example, a man will value a woman as a person and may not view her as an object. Over the past several decades, our society has quickly gone down a slippery slope of sexual immorality. Consider some of the things that are considered normal in our generation. Couples live together, include having sex before getting married. Some live together for years without getting married. That's the norm in our society. Sexual education now teaches safe sex, distributes condoms, because sex while dating is expected and considered the norm. Abortions are illegal and considered normal if the mother just isn't ready to have a child. You can't get pregnant if you don't have sex. Same-sex marriage is common. Same-sex relationships. Movies and TV shows continue to push the envelope with sexual innuendos, nudity, and sexuality. Productions in the past decade like Magic Mike, Fifty Shades of Grey, among others, are considered liberating and receive reviews from critics calling them enjoyable, a feast for the eyes, funny, etc. But don't forget that we have an adversary, as I said, that wants to take everything holy and sacred and make it something that is considered vulgar and perverse. In our world, at the state that we're in, we've already said our elders can look back 40, 50 years and this was not the generation they lived in. 40, 50 years from now, if God tarries, it's going to continue to wax worse. One of the now, one of the contributing factors to this major decline is due to the to, excuse, I can't talk, proliferation of pornography. Now, that's just one area of sexual sin. But I want to speak to you tonight about how pornography has had a ripple effect from this one area of sin into so many other areas because it's created a basis. Because think about this. As recently as the 1950s, you could not purchase pornographic magazines in a store, 1950s. By the 1970s, you could purchase it in a convenience store on a shelf, but it was wrapped in plastic. Now fast forward a generation, and now access to any type of sexual perversion is just a mouse click away, and most of it is free. No risk involved. Years ago, Pornography was difficult to purchase, and some people wouldn't get it just for the simple fact of what if someone sees me. That's no longer the case. The problem of sexual addiction, which pretty much just means any type of uncontrollable sexual activity, has increased significantly with the availability of pornography on the internet. Because the internet isn't even just excluded now to a computer in your home. People have it on their phone wherever they go. People can sit in their car, in the parking lot of a park. It doesn't matter. They have it everywhere they go. Psychologist Al Cooper calls the Internet the triple-A engine for its ability to make porn pornography accessible, affordable, and anonymous. And that's the triple threat. Those things together make it very dangerous. So tonight we're going to take some time to focus on pornography 
Now, people have this idea that pornography, okay, you're just talking to the guys. But I'm telling you, in the society we live in, pornography is viewed by men and women. And when I speak of pornography, many people automatically think of people sitting down in a computer and viewing things on their computer. But it also encompasses sexually explicit novels and erotica and things of reading like that. And a lot of times, that's what women are steered towards. So we're going to talk about that. I want to talk to you about some facts. These are from pornography statistics, porn-free church, and parenting the internet generation. And these statistics are shared by Covenant Eyes around 2015, so within the past about three years. After an analysis of more than one million hits to Google's mobile search sites in 2006, adult queries, which what that means, adult content, and you know what I mean by adult content. You hear the term adult stores, adult content, were demonstrated to be the most popular category searched, with more than one in five searches being for pornography. Think about that. Every time someone sits down and starts a search on the internet, one in five is for pornography. A survey found that the most popular search topics were sex, and the top 20 topics included porn, nude or nudes, triple X, and Playboy. Men prefer images and graphic sex sites, while women prefer erotic stories and romantic sites. 55% of married men and 25% of married women watch porn at least once a month. By 2017, which we've already passed that, a quarter of a billion people are expected to be accessing mobile adult content from their phones or tablets, an increase of more than 30% from 2013. Now, these next few statistics are really something. 93% of boys and 62% of girls have been exposed to internet pornography before the age of 18. Is that not staggering? 93% of boys and 62% of girls before they're 18 have seen internet pornography. 32%, one-third, one out of every three teens admit to intentionally accessing nude or pornographic content online. Of these, 43% do it every week. Now, I'm telling you, not only are they accessing this stuff online, but they're sending pictures of themselves to each other. I work in the schools, y'all. Trust me. 70% of teens have accidentally stumbled across pornography online. And accidentally, that's not necessarily an accident. I'm not saying on their part, but the pornography, they target our kids. The largest group, the largest group of viewers of internet porn are children between the ages of 12 and 17. That's staggering. And that is sad. That is so sad. It's not by accident. The producers of porn target kids because they want to set them up for a lifetime of sexual addiction because it's all about the money it puts in their pocket. Because they start them out with stuff that's free and then they increase their addiction and they'll start paying for it. A porn addiction is no different than being addicted to drugs or alcohol. The effects are the same. Now, I'm going to take some time and tell you, I'm going to delve a little bit into the science of how pornography affects the brain, okay? This is not like something that, you know, oh, I started doing this and I can quit anytime I want. It is truly an addiction that people have to overcome. No different than if they were addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, addicted to nicotine. Addiction to pornography is just as much as a, of an addiction. You can tell someone, oh, you could stop if you wanted to. 
Well, stopping is one thing, and still dealing with the aftermath and the fallout is totally different, okay? Paul Fishbein, founder of Adult Porn News, stated, porn doesn't have a demographic. It goes across all demographics. And it's true, any age, nationality, relationship, status, whatever it may be. The reasons that people view porn for the first time can be very diverse. It may start out as someone saying, oh, I just need an escape. Or I saw something in a movie and it sparked something and aroused something in me and I had a desire for more. Maybe a book that was on display in the library looked exciting. Maybe a pop-up came across the internet screen. Maybe a magazine was discovered in the back of a parent's closet. Many different things. You see things now in our generation that you wouldn't have seen a generation or two ago. And sadly, pornography is becoming more widely accepted in the church. And you say accepted in the church? Yes, because you'll hear such things like, well, you know, our young men and women, you know, they're striving to save themselves for marriage, but they got hormones and they need an outlet. Isn't that sad? A twisted deception from hell is what that is. Different porn products are marketed to different types of people. As already stated, there's things that are more suited for a man and things that are suited for a woman. Men are aroused visually. That's why strip clubs are mostly for men. Pornography for men involves photos, videos. It's all usually very visual. Women are attracted and aroused by emotional and romantic connections. Think about it. When's the last time you saw a man reading an erotica novel? You just don't see that, right? Because it doesn't do for them what it does for a woman. Who was the greatest consumer of the Fifty Shades of Grey novel? Now, I know it was made into a movie, but the novel. Women were. Oh, they had their book clubs. They sat around and talked about it. It was on the Internet. Oh, they was just, finally they made something for women. I mean, it was, if you got on Facebook or social media, you saw this talked about. Pornography damages minds. It warps thoughts. It actually literally does. Because you all know our bodies are connected physically, emotionally, and spiritually, right? All contained, but it all affects. Because think about this. When your emotions are affected, many times we see responses in our body. True? Like when you feel fear, your heart starts beating faster, and your blood starts racing, right? You have a physical response to an emotion, right? Okay. When we're stressed... What happens? Your blood pressure can be elevated. You can feel tightness in your chest. You have heart strain. Maybe someone that's feeling depressed, they'll get lethargic, sleepy, no energy. Emotional things affect us physically. True? When someone begins to view pornography then, don't let it be a surprise that major changes happen in the brain and to the chemicals in our body. Pornography literally hijacks the brain because it initiates sexual arousal without sex actually happening. Dr. William Struthers from the website Your Brain on Porn explains, as a person views pornography, it causes a neurological event in their brain. A connection, a pathway, if you will, is made. And as more pornography is viewed, that path becomes a deep trench in our brain. Think about it this way. If you forge a path in a forest, maybe go down a, a spot that's never been driven before and maybe you drive down at one time and it just kind of flattens the grass and then you keep driving that path and eventually you've got ruts there's a trench okay the same thing happens in our brain whenever pornography is viewed erotica novels are read a pathway is made 
And the more that's viewed, the more that's read, that becomes a deep trench in your brain. And then any time there is any type of sexual cue in your life, whether it's meant to be healthy or unhealthy, it goes down that unhealthy path in your brain, okay? So as a result, all the sexual cues pass down this path. The brain responds to the stimuli, and it doesn't care that the arousal comes from porn. It just adapts and tells the body, we need to do this again. The problem is that the connection is made with porn and not with a real person. As humans, we all have a drive center in our brain, okay? And it's responsible for telling our body when we need to eat, when we need to drink, and have sex. You might say, well, how is that connected? We have a drive center in our brain. If you don't eat for so many days, you'll eventually starve to death. If you don't drink water or some type of beverage for so many days, you will die literally of thirst. There's a drive center in your brain telling you, you need to eat, you need to drink, okay? Sexual stimulation is in that same drive center in your brain, okay? And while we would eventually die without food or water, we will not die from not having sex. But at times to our brain and our body, it may feel that way. Because although it's not needed for survival, it can be a drive that comes from the same center. So whenever hormones kick in and our teenagers and they start having all this and they start having curiosity and things, that's why it's so important that they have a healthy view of sex and they know God's laid out in his word how we should view it, how we should see it, that it's reserved for marriage so that they can purposely and intentionally live according to his word in this area of their life, okay? So as pornography is viewed, it lights up that drive center in the brain. Then that signal passes to the memory, and then it ultimately ends up in the emotional center of our brain, okay? And this behavior, repeated over and over, creates a pattern. And basically what ends up happening is they begin to use pornography solely as the means of satisfying the sexual drive in their mind. Pornography taps into an intense mix of biological and chemical reactions that occur. Because just like how people talk about a high they get from doing drugs, there is a high that happens in the body from viewing pornography, an arousal, an outlet that happens. Now, done in the context of marriage with a spouse, sex brings positive feelings and it helps build the relationship. But when it's done as a result of viewing pornography, they get that extreme high but the brain and the body associate it with viewing porn, okay? It's not with a real person. It's something fake. It's kind of like artificial sugar tricking your body into thinking it's getting sugar, but it's really not. It's fake. This is fake. Something else that happens through the viewing of pornography is it dulls the reward center of the brain, okay? It dulls it. Well, what does that mean, Sister McGee? What that means is that the impact of porn is reduced. You know how when drug addicts say, you know, I took this hit, but now it takes a little bit more to get the high, and it takes a little bit more to get the high? Well, the same thing happens with pornography. The impact is reduced, and it takes more and more to get to the level of excitement desired. So maybe where it started out where someone could just pull out a Sports Illustrated and look at the swimsuit issue, then that may turn into getting a Playboy or looking online at naked photos. Well, then when that's not enough, that may lead to looking at actual videos and so on. At this point, sex is no longer about intimacy, okay? But it's just an opportunity for pleasure and release. It's just pure self-gratification. 
Pornography essentially trains men and women to be consumers, not lovers. To treat sex as a commodity. Something to be purchased, something to be consumed. To think about sex as something that's on tap and made to order. It's about pleasing me. That's what pornography is. It's about pleasing me, making me feel good. I don't have to give anything. I don't have to do anything. It's all right here for me to consume. A study was conducted in the early 1980s by Dr. Zillman and Dr. Jennings Bryant, and it revealed several ways that pornography changes people's thought patterns and their beliefs. Because over time, it doesn't just affect their body, it doesn't just affect their brain, it affects their beliefs. Number one, watching pornography decreases sexual satisfaction. Porn addicts become much less satisfied with their spouse or partner's physical appearance and sexual performance. And after becoming aroused so many times through pornography, addicts find it very difficult to have sex with a real person. Because having sex with a real person requires give and take. It's no longer all just about you, which pornography is just all about self. Number two, watching porn disconnects people from real relationships. It causes them to have a desire for casual sex, which is sex without emotional involvement or commitment. This is carried over into the younger generation of today who are heavily involved in things like sexting. I mean, sexting is a term in our generation, is it not? Which, what is that? Sending racy photos or videos of themselves to others, which basically makes that person someone else's pornography. Number three, watching pornography lowers men's view of women. It degrades them and goes against God's word, which states that we were created in the image of God. Pornography causes women to be viewed as objects to be used rather than someone to be cherished and appreciated. Women are reduced to size, shape, and body parts. So I'm going to take a little side tangent here. If you can, just bear with me for about four minutes. I want to take a little tangent. Ladies, if you knew that in this struggle and in this temptation that our guys face, if we could be a help to them, wouldn't we want to do that? If we wanted to help our brothers in Christ, our husbands, our brothers, our sons, We'd want to do that, right? True? Amen? All right. You're saying, I don't know. What are you going to ask me to do? <laughs> Trust me. You don't have to do it. I know you're all kind of like, mm. We know that God is ultimately wise, right? He created us. He knows us inside and out. He created the men to be aroused visually, but he intended that to only be by that man's wife. And that's the, one of the reasons why he laid out standards of modesty in dress outside the bedroom. Bottom line, our bodies are only for our spouse's viewing pleasure. It shouldn't be on display for the world. When clothing is low cut, sheer, too tight, it places a greater struggle on our Christian men to maintain pure thoughts and keep the mind of Christ. Now, a Holy Ghost-filled man, he's going to avert his eyes. He's going to look away. But immodest clothing by women, it makes it harder. And I know that we know they're going to get it from the world Let's not make them have to deal with it in the church. Don't take my word for it, though. Listen to the words of a Christian man who responded to an inquiry about modest clothing. David Lindinger writes, Many of my brothers struggle with pornography and are trying to rewire their brains to be clean from all the horrible things they've seen in porn. When a woman in real life walks by in an immodest outfit, say a crop top, something low cut, something sheer, or something very tight like leggings, the visual of those body parts can recall images from porn to the front of their brains. It's extremely hard to purify the brain and we need your help. My goal is to get men to treat you more respectfully and I'm simply asking you to treat us that way too. 
Not only does dressing modestly help protect you, it helps protect us too. He ended the article by saying, if we could all try to see where others are coming from and how our choices impact them, I hope out of love, true love that wills the good of the other, we can understand that this isn't just about an article of clothing. This is about loving your neighbor as yourself. How many of us as women would be upset if we caught our husband checking out a woman that was real scantily clad? We'd get upset, boom, just like that, wouldn't we? Or what if we discovered that we had a son that was viewing pornography? It would really upset us. It would disappoint us. Then we need to understand that our clothing choices can impact other men in our life who struggle to look away when we are dressed immodestly. Whether we're wearing something low cut, exposing the breast, or something tight that accentuates our bottom, this creates a stumbling block that could be prevented. If you know or have known someone who has struggled with pornography, then you know how much of a challenge it is to break free from that addiction. Dressing modestly frees the men around us to feel comfortable and not have to stress and struggle to look away, stay pure, don't look again, avert the gaze. Women who are dressed modestly are respected and are considered classy and a lady. So there's my four minute tangent. So now we're moving back. So you can take that for what it's worth. Number four, watching porn desensitizes people to cruelty. It creates the idea that humans are expendable and something to be used. Because pornography promotes the idea that aggression towards others, women's especially, is acceptable and that they actually enjoy it and want that. Number five, watching porn increases the desire for more porn. It produces an escalation effect, which I briefly mentioned earlier. And it not only increases the desire for more porn, but it leads to more sexually explicit material over time. Just like the druggie that has to have more and more and more to get more of a high, someone that's watching porn has to get more and more sexually explicit material to get that same level of arousal or interest. Now this can be an explanation about how some people end up addicted to child pornography. People don't wake up one day and say, I'm just gonna view someone having sex with a child and it's gonna excite me. That, people don't do that. It doesn't start there, okay? It starts way down here and it builds up. They would see that and it would repulse them. It, would re it should repulse us. But please understand how the porn industry works, okay? When someone logs on to view a video, let's say someone logs on and they're gonna watch sex between two consenting adults, a man and a woman. The producers are very deviant and they will slip in a few seconds right in the middle of that video of something that initially may seem repulsive to the viewer. And they may stop and say, oh, it's, and then it goes back. And they've seen that little few seconds. They didn't sign on to watch that, but the producers slip it in. And the more they watch and the more that they need to get excited, their curiosity takes hold and they'll view something a little bit more deviant. They may look at things that involve violence and they may eventually end up at child pornography. They didn't wake up that day deciding, I'm gonna look at child pornography. But for a lot of people, that's where they end up. It's a sad, sad day that we live in because people get addicted to something so easily. It's free, it's accessible, it's easy. And they end up 
serving sentence in a prison because of where it landed them. They end up addicted to watching things they would never have dreamed. And the enemy is so good about making people feel shameful and alone. Now, maybe you've been listening tonight and thinking, but pornography is a problem in the world. It's not in the church. That's not true. It's more rampant in the church than you can imagine. How do we know? Well, some of the simple facts that it can be accessed secretly and without risk of discovery, there are multiple, multiple, multiple people across the church world that are online viewing pornography and nobody has any idea. There are many, many, many women that are reading erotica novels and sexually explicit material and nobody knows. People in the church, this tends to be a problem because they won't seek help because they're so fearful of judgment and shame, fear of being ostracized, fearful of people finding out, of their spouse finding out. They would rather live alone condemned in their shame and their addiction than to seek help and be free. Many of them are scared of being branded with a scarlet letter and possibly re removed forever from any position ever in the church because sexual sins kind of seem to fall into a category of their own and people think that that's just something that's just so unforgivable. I remember several years ago when Pastor and I evangelized, we heard a troubling statistic and it has stuck with me and I don't know if Pastor will remember this, but as we traveled, they we had talked to someone and the number of sexually explicit or porn pay-per-views went up significantly at Opryland Hotel during the week of National Youth Convention. 6,000 apostolic young people filling up that hotel, but the number of porn videos and pay-per-views of sexually explicit material went way up that week. That should tell you, this is not just a world problem. It's just not just a church problem. It's an apostolic church problem, too. ArcOmaha.org, anti-pornography task force, states this. 57% of pastors say that addiction to porn is the most sexually damaging issue to their congregation. 29% of born-again adults in the U.S. feel it is morally acceptable to view movies with explicit sexual behavior. You all know this is true because how many times have you been on Facebook scrolling through and were like, oh my word, I can't believe that person talked about seeing that movie, right? 20% of calls received on the pastoral care line are for help with issues such as porn and compulsive sexual behavior. But here's the fact, folks. We can't change the problems and help the problem if we don't start the conversation. For anyone sitting under the sound of my voice tonight, this is, that's me, and I've been struggling with this. You can come to Pastor and I. We can help. If you want help and you've been dealing with this, we will help. We'll keep your confidence, and we can walk you through the steps to retrain your brain to help you find freedom. Now, with that being said, let me insert a little thing. Pastor and I are mandated reporters. What that means is if we come into the knowledge of someone that's had issues where they have committed molestation or sexual abuse of a minor, we are required to report that, okay? But if you've had issues and you've been addicted to pornography and other things, please don't be afraid to seek help. This does not have to control your life. We're not going to look down on you. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to think you're lesser of a person. The thing is, pornography doesn't stop with pornography. It leads to masturbation, too. And, that, and it just eventually becomes a compulsion more than a pleasure. 
And what ends up happening is you have someone that walks around with their head down and all they are full of is guilt and shame. Now, deliverance from pornography, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't end when the person stops viewing or reading the explicit material because images and stories are in the brain. They're in that deep trench, and they can be called up in the brain. Triggers, things they see, it can be brought up and thought about. Just like you can recall memories from your past, from your wedding day, from your past, when pornography has been viewed and sexually explicit novels and things have been read, you remember them, and they're still there. They say images can be stored in your brain for seven years or more. But there is hope and healing and deliverance possible. No sin is unforgivable, okay? In order to retrain the brain, new thought patterns and behavior must emerge. It has to be intentional because a new pathway has to be created. Well, how does that happen, Sister McGee? Well, when you starve something, it's going to die. You start stepping away from that, and not only taking something away, but filling it with the right thing. Sex is only intended to be happening within the confines of marriage. That's number one. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it worth it? Yes. Counseling therapy, it's encouraged. An accountability partner is absolutely necessary, 100%, no questions asked. You need someone to be accountable to that's going to ask you the hard questions and keep you on the right path when you have a weak moment. Because overcoming pornography is not something you can do alone. You need someone to help you and stand by your side and be that accountability person for you. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 states, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Learning to have the mind of Christ, how do we do that? Reading his word, attending church, worship, being led by the spirit, denying the flesh through fasting. It's not an easy road, but these behaviors and actions can carve a new and healthy path in the brain. This new way of thinking retrains the brain to understand that sex is about knowing someone intimately and being known. That's why there's so many scriptures in the Bible where it talks about Abraham knew Sarah or someone was married and they knew their wife. And we know that means they came together intimately because sex is about knowing someone intimately and allowing them to know you. It's about two people being vulnerable with each other. Okay? Scripture even speaks of it that way. It's not just for pleasure. If you're struggling with sexual addiction, have peace that there is hope and healing for you. Now, as a church, how can we help this? How can we combat this? We have to be prayed up. We have to be spiritually strong to wage war against sexual immorality because we are fighting against a huge, huge surge of this in the world. It's, it's, it's perverse. And we know we're not battling flesh and blood. We're not battling people. People is what we see, but there's something going on in the spirit realm behind the people, and that's the enemy. Our goal is to rescue the souls and defeat the devil. We're not defeating people. We're not putting people down. We're trying to rescue people. How do we do that? We show them grace, love, forgiveness, and compassion to a brother or sister seeking victory over sexual sin. And that's really been the stumbling block to people who have sought help in the church because people are so judgmental and look down their nose at someone that have gotten involved in this type of addiction. 
they don't even feel like they can take the first step for healing because they feel like they're walking around branded with a scarlet letter because they have people that are holier than thou looking down their nose. I can't believe you would do such a thing. And it's the wrong attitude and the wrong spirit. And the enemy is using that person to keep that person locked into that addiction no different than he's used the pornography to keep that person locked in. We need to be a church that shows help and lends a helping hand to help a brother or sister overcome that sin lest we stumble and fall into the same sin. That's what scripture says. Our job is to pray for them, encourage them, and understand that they are actually in a fight for their lives, their marriage, their family, and ultimately their soul. We are the body of Christ, and when one member is wounded, we all react to the pain. If you hurt yourself, you feel it. How many times have you hurt your back or your finger or your hand, and, man, you just felt it all through your, like, oh. When you hurt your hand, your whole body knows it. It's not like, oh, I'm bleeding. Oh, that's, no, we feel it. And that's how it should, we should react when someone in the body of Christ is wounded. We react to the pain, and we don't seek to pour salt in the wound, we seek to bring healing, a balm, a way to help them heal. Restoration. Sexual sin is not something we take lightly. The problem exists in every church. How do you know that? Because every church is made up of people. We can't ignore this growing problem. We have to face it head on. If you'll stand with me tonight. Our goal as Christians is to strive for sexual purity in our lives our homes, and our church. We talked about pornography tonight, and we talked a lot about the problem of pornography. Over the next couple sessions, we're going to continue our series, and we're going to start discussing things like how to heal from sexual addiction, questions to ask, steps to recovery. We're going to talk about a little bit more about sexual purity in women. It's not something that's really touched on. We're going to talk about Internet safety for families. You're going to say, how do I protect my children? If most of the people who view pornography, if the largest group is between 12 and 17, there's a lot of us that have kids getting ready to be in that age group. How do we protect them? There are ways to protect our children. There's apps. There's things you can put on your modem. There's protection. It's out there, and I'm going to share all that with you so that we can give our kids the best chance. And not only our kids, but our families. Because the way this works is pop-ups on the Internet, will just pop up on a screen and someone's addicted in a moment. There are things that filter out that stuff to where you never have to see it, to where it never pops up on any device. You can, so I'm going to discuss those things for you. By the time we finish out um, over the next one or two sessions, part of my class last year asked us to write, as our final project, write a handbook about sexual purity for your church. And so I did. I wrote a handbook. The reason I got docked on my points is because it was too long. But when it comes to this subject, I, I just like, I can't leave that out. If I was going to share this with my church, I, I can't leave this out. I was okay with getting docked the five points to include all the extra material because I went over on the number of pages. But my handbook that I contained discusses some of the things we talked about tonight but includes sex in our society, is sexual addiction a problem in the church, the impact of sexual addiction physically, emotionally, and spiritually, the impact of sexual addiction on marriage, a word to the women, creating accountability, protecting our families, can God forgive sexual addiction, let the healing begin, 
a word to the church and closing thoughts. And so over the next week, I'll put a sign-up sheet on the board. It's not going to hurt my feelings if I put it up and nobody wants one of these. Seriously, I promise it won't. But if anybody wants one, I will make copies and booklets for however many people want them. And then I'll, I'll probably leave a copy in the lobby if anyone wants to just look at it tonight. You can kind of peruse through it. And then I'll put up a sign-up sheet by the weekend. So if you want it, you can. It's not going to hurt my feelings if you don't, I promise. My husband read it and said it was phenomenal. That's all that matters. His opinions what matters to me the most, and he said it was good. So, <laughs> But um, let's just take a moment. Brother Mason, can you lead us in that song, Give Us Clean Hands, Give Us Clean Hearts, Give Us Pure Hearts? Can we just close our eyes and ask God to help us tonight? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.